Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right, and the upright walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. Now we're going to have a little bit of interaction here because I want to make sure you get this. So the words that I want you to repeat, I'll say. So be bold in your proclamation of the word today this morning and repeat when I say the word. Whoever is wise, let him understand. Can you please repeat the word understand? Please repeat these things. Whoever is discerning, repeat with me, discerning, let him know them, for the ways of the Lord are right. Say with me, right. And the upright walk in them, but the transgressors, repeat after me, stumble. You can say that with a little bit more sadness, stumble in them. This is what's happening at the end of the book. And this is one of the most crucial texts to the entire book because it's getting us to reflect on everything that we've already learned, everything that we've already read, everything that we've already heard, everything that's already been proclaimed. And what the author of the book, Hosea, is trying to get his readers to understand is everything that has been written must be understood, must be known, must be discerned in order to achieve wisdom. If they are not understood, or if by them, the way of the wicked will obviously stumble. So there is a bringing back to this crucial reality of knowing what God says and doing what God says. That's why church is so important these days because we not only proclaim God's truth, but we expect a reaction to God's word. It isn't just sit down and listen and say, that was boring or, hey, that was a good sermon. Hey, I like it when that guy preaches. Oh, I like it when that guy preaches. It's not about that. It's about how much you can swallow and intake God's word so that it does so much in you that makes you act on God's word. We can be in church for 20 years, listen to God's word for 20 years, and yet not do what it says, and our lifestyles will reflect that. So, so this passage is a, is a didactic wisdom passage. It's a, it's a form of literature that we're going to get if you read closely the book of Ecclesiastes, the book of Proverbs, the book of Psalms. There are some wisdom uh, literature in those that come, come down to this small verse. We have words like, understanding. We have words like wisdom. We have words like discernment. We have words like ways and upright, transgressors. All of these words we find within wisdom literature. And it's important to know that because what the author is trying to do is set forth a way of being wise. It is kind of like a final instruction. This isn't just 
what the whole book has said. It isn't a summary of the whole book. If, if it was a summary, we would have had mention of Hosea and Gomer. We would have had mention of the faults of Israel. We would have had mention of many other judgments that we have read in the book. But at this moment, what the author is calling the attention to and is urging the reader, whoever's reading this, and whoever will read this, is pay attention and, by God, understand and discern these things. It is for our benefit, it is for our understanding and wisdom to walk and do as this passage says. So even though it's a small little verse, it's a very important and crucial verse that we must know and understand and it's at the end of the book for that particular reason so this is why we're gonna dig in deep today and try to really grasp and get a handle of why Hosea is mentioning these things you you, you can't forget that even though we've spoken about Hosea and Gomer and and all of these uh, judgments that have been occurring, you cannot forget that Hosea has been the, the man of God involved in this entire process and has been proclaiming this message to a certain group of people. And so in Hosea's mind and in Hosea's heart, as he pens this, as he writes this, as he proclaims this, he has a certain group of people in mind. And it is those people that he's calling them to a certain lifestyle. He's had to live amongst them not only his entire life, but during this very difficult life. Remember Hosea and Gomer. Remember God calling him to marry a prostitute. Remember God calling him to, to re-engage with the woman who abused and left him for someone else or for some other peoples. This is the man that has had to live in front of people's eyes while proclaiming a message of God's faithfulness. This is a man who has been exposed. His public life has been exposed before everyone. His marriage has been exposed before everyone for years. His kids have been exposed before everyone for years, And that's why we read in chapter 2, he has sons of adultery and fornication. The kids grew up and lived the same lifestyle as their mother. They did as she did because she sown in them that lifestyle and showed them that lifestyle. So this is a public figure who is speaking on behalf of God while showing a lifestyle that is being destroyed. A wife who has left them. Children who are grown up in, in, in doing all these profane things. And his message has been very clear from the start. Can you imagine and think of the receptors of this message? People looking at him, trying to figure out what his deal is because they see his family. And although sometimes that's a good thing, it can be a bad thing. So this message that is contained in these 14 chapters is a very crucial message because it is exposed. It is a public life exposed before a people to criticize and judge. Can you imagine living your life publicly so that everyone can scrutinize every little detail of your life? 
Can you imagine having your life exposed like an open book, like a Facebook Live of your life at every minute of the day when you get home, when you're in arguments with your wife, when you're yelling at your kids, when you're doing all of the, these negative things in your life, the, even the thoughts that are coming to you? Can you imagine being publicly exposed like that before everyone? Well, this is the case of Hosea, but, but there is a strange ring to this case because Hosea is proclaiming a message. Hosea's life is not reflecting his wayward ways. Hosea's life is reflecting a life of obedience to God. And that's why Hosea calls everyone at the end of this book to say, let the wise understand. Because to people, for Hosea to have married a harlot, a prostitute, to, to raise this, uh, disoriented children to, to, to go back and marry or, or to go back and gain his wife, I mean, that just doesn't make sense. All the things that Hosea did just do not make sense. But he is obeying God's word. That's what God told him to do. So Hosea is kind of fighting this as he pens this. Hosea is saying at the beginning of verse 9, who is wise? The NET version says who is wise. The ESV that we read says whoever is wise. I like the way the NET says it because it's more direct. Who? Show me somebody who is wise. Show me the wise person. Who is it? What is Hosea doing? He's bringing in a little elevated type of sarcasm to this situation because the people have seen his life, the people have examined his lifestyle, the people have pointed out his kids and his wife and think they are above, think they are better, think they are wise on themselves. Can you imagine that? Uh, some guy preaching to you about being faithful to God and his lifestyle is a mess? Be like, man, dude, I'm better off than you are. My, at least I got my family. At least I'm still married to my wife. At least my wife didn't leave me for some other punks. So Hosea is saying, okay, who is wise? Who? He's looking out, trying to see, trying to see who's going to raise their hand. Who is wise? And, and whoever is wise, then what? Let him understand these things. If you think you're wise, then you should understand what has been said. If you are wise, then you should know what's going on in this proclamation. If you are wise, then you know that God has spoken. That's why he says, let him understand and discern these things. What are these things he's talking about? Well, everything he's written. Everything that he's penned, everything that he's put out there, everything that was preached in this book that extends not only to Hosea's time, but it goes even further back to the times of Moses, as we've seen a lot of quotations coming back from the Old Testament in Hosea's writings. Let him understand these things. Most importantly, I want, I want you to remember this. Go back to Hosea chapter 1. Let him understand these things. Here's the main reason why 
they should understand and discern these things. Because in Hosea chapter 1, check out what verse 1 says. The word of the Lord that came to Hosea. Whose word? The Lord's word. Yeah, even, even if we're in the Old Testament, just say Jesus. That's always going to be right. It's the words, the Lord's words. It isn't Hosea's words. So Hosea is not saying to these people, hey, pay attention to me. Listen to me. I'm good at this. I've made my living off motivational speeches. I'm good. Listen to me. No, Hosea is not saying that. Hosea is not claiming to be wise on his own. He's saying, pay attention to these things. Why? Because from the beginning of the book, the word of the Lord that came to Hosea. What does verse 2 say? To be a little bit more emphatic. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea. Who spoke through Hosea? The Lord spoke through Hosea. Once again, this isn't Hosea doing his thing, saying his things. It is the Lord that has spoken. It is the Lord who has written. It is the Lord who has proclaimed through the life of Hosea. So when Hosea says, who is wise, then understand that it is the Lord that has spoken these things. That's why in the church services that you and I are a part of, that's why in our church services, the word of the Lord is the most important aspect of our service. That's why you came in today and at the beginning of the service, someone read to you the word of the Lord. At the middle of the service, someone read to you the word of the Lord. When we collected the offering, someone opened up the word of the Lord and read it to you. When we kept going in the, in the, in the in intersection of our service, I read to you the word of the Lord. And when we sit here and we preach, I preach to you the word of the Lord. It's central because it isn't man-made. It's God's word. And I know that there's so many other criticisms out there that say this is not God's word. This is just a fabrication of old manuscripts that have been copied and so much error and so much all this nonsense that's going on. Others say that, but we who are wise understand that these are God. We listen, we abide by them, we understand and discern these things. Hosea was dealing with what we deal with in our modern day. The wisdom of the people. They thought themselves to be wise. But the book itself proves what their wisdom achieved. That's why Hosea, very sarcastically, but very poignantly, Ask who is wise. Just look at, look at chapter 13, going back to chapter 13, just so that we could have this fresh in our mind. Chapter 13, verse 13 says, The pangs of childbirth come for him, but he is an unwise son. For the right time, he does not present himself at the opening of the womb. If you were here when we studied chapter 13, you'll remember that Hosea is comparing, God is comparing uh, the the people of Israel, to this unwise child that is, that is supposed to come out at the right time of birth, but the child is holding back from coming out. And, and Hosea is saying he's unwise. 
That it, that's what it means to be unwise. If the child does not come out at that particular time, it's going to cause harm to him. He won't develop correctly. He can eventually die if he resists to come out of the womb at the proper time. And that's why Hosea says those who are unwise are like that child because ultimately the lack of wisdom leads to death. So the, Hosea is calling this. He has shown, we have seen throughout all of these chapters, especially from chapters 4 and on, all of these wayward ways that Israel has dealt with in, in, in an incorrect way. They have, they have tried to do allegiances with, with other nations. They had, tried, they had tried to begin to worship false gods and do idolatry. Remember, they started sacrificing their own children to idols. They were electing princes and kings that God never did. They were doing all of that because they thought they were wise. And ultimately, their wisdom led to their destruction. At the year 722, Assyria came and annihilated them, destroyed them. And Hosea is saying, who is wise? Where, where are your wise people? If you're wise, then you understand what's going on. Contrary to those who are not wise. If you're not wise, then you're like me when I was in my junior year of high school in physics class, and the teacher would be talking physics, and I'd be like, not wise, very dumb. Hosea was analyzing his current culture, his current context, and, and seeing the lack of wisdom with his people and he was amazed at the fact that so few understood. They thought that they were better. They thought that they were advanced. They thought they knew more, but they didn't. It's a quote from, from a 16th century scholar that says about this particular passage, for they themselves thought to believe themselves specially acute when they would laugh at everything that is about piety, when they, when they bent God's name and taunted God's name with scorn and indulged themselves in all impiety. They thought the people in Hosea's time, they thought themselves better and they would scorn God. They would laugh at everything that was pious or everything that was religious or everything that was spiritual, and they delighted themselves in their own impiety. Kind of like our modern-day culture. I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians to, to belabor this point a little bit more or to be a little bit more emphatic. 1 Corinthians says it this way. Chapter 3. This is what Paul says about the wisdom of the world. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. 
For the wisdom of the world is folly with God, for it is written. He catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollo or Cephas or the world of life and death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ and Christ is God's, the way of the world is folly. That's what Paul is saying. That's exactly what Hosea is implying. The wisdom of this modern age is folly. In Hosea's time, 8th century BC. In Paul's time, 1st century AD. And in 21st century AD, the wisdom of this world is folly. It is foolish. Take a look around the United States. Take a look around at everything that's wrong. Like, you and I know we can criticize every aspect of the United States, right? It's like so easy to do. We can, we can start off with our president and then go all the way down. We can criticize every aspect of this, of this wonderful, beautiful country. And some of us are very good at it. But as Christians, we're supposed to be praying for it instead of criticizing it. However, we can see all the error here. The wisdom of this world is Folly. True wisdom, as the prophet Isaiah says, comes and is born in God. That's where wisdom comes to full flourishing. It is in God, only God. It is found in him and those who are in him. That's why Paul says, if you are in Christ and of Christ, it's yours. Those who are in God have and can attain that wisdom. Wisdom means at, at this stage in the game, what Hosea is saying, wisdom means that it's a careful examination to follow God's word. Those who are wise have understood one thing in life. They follow what God says. It's, it's simple. Look at Deuteronomy. Open your Bible to Deuteronomy. I'm going to take advantage of this one verse that we're studying to show you a bunch of verses. Deuteronomy chapter 4. Verse 6. Keep them and do them for that will be your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who when they hear all these statues will say, surely this great nation is wise and understanding. What is he talking about here at the beginning of chapter 4? It's talking about the commandments and the obedience to them commandments. And those who are wise will abide by them, will carefully seek to follow them will conform to the word of God and will be a person of the word of God. There is a big call today in 21st century America to this church, to all churches, to be people of the word. If we are not people of the word, it's going to be very easy for others to influence our mindset to attack our minds, and to call us to incorrect deviations. Think about what we are being most attacked on today. 
What is the biggest confusion that we have in our current culture? We have this error in thinking uh, on how we're supposed to react to those who have a confusion in their gender. This is, this is 21st century America. This is liberal mindset at its best. We do not even know our own sex anymore. Go back to Genesis 1, 2, and 3, and you realize that God was very clear on what he did, on who he created, on what he created. But that now is under attack. No, God didn't. Wait, first of all, if we're going to land that there is a God, eh, it, God just let, you know, they could decide whether or not they, what Adam could have chose to be whatever he wanted to be, and Eve could have chosen what, to be whatever she wanted to be, and that's it. No, others just say, well, Adam and Eve's story is just complete nonsense. I mean, that's, that's a fable. That's a made-up story. Like, come on, we're not, we're not going to believe a snake, a talking snake, a talking snake. We're not going to believe that. But it goes straight to that very beginning. We are being attacked from what was set up from the beginning. What are you going to say to your friends when you say God created man and woman? What if they say, well, no, science doesn't make you that. I mean, you can choose whatever you want to be. What are you, you going to say? Are you going to be bigoted and hateful? No, it's because you're wrong. Well, how are you going to react? It's wisdom that will get you to, to bring these words to understanding. And some will just never understand it. And that's okay. Because we're going to keep reading what happens to those who never understand, which implies that there will be people that will never understand. First Corinthians is very clear. Isaiah is very clear. So wisdom must be a careful examination of God's word, and we are to be conformed by God's word so that we can face the attacks of the counter word in this counter world. The basic definition of wisdom is beautiful. It's, it means those who, uh, a person that is wise are, are those who are skilled at a certain activity. It's talking about skilled work, skilled action. That's why the two verbs that follow are very important. Whoever is wise, then what? Let him understand. That's verb one, action one. Whoever is wise, let him be discerning. That's verb or participle number two. That's an action. That is an act of doing a skillful act. Because you're wise, you are able to understand. Because you're wise, you are able to discern. What does it mean to have understanding? The basic meaning of understanding is being able to see. Being able to see the activity of God in the spiritual sense, which is what Hosea is speaking about. He's not talking about physical sight. It's able to see God's activity, but it's also expected from us or from God's people to have this understanding. God's people are to understand. What, what, what Hosea is saying is God's people are to be able to see. We should be able to see. Look at what Psalm, the beautiful Psalms, 94. Go with me there to Psalm 94. 
before time runs out. Psalms 94, verses 8 through 10, it says, Understand, there's that word, understand, O dullest of people. There are certain translations that say, O stupid people. Fools, when, we, when will you be wise? Verse 9, he who planted the ear, does he not hear? He who formed the eye, does he not see? He who disciplines the nations, does he not rebuke? He who teaches man knowledge, the Lord knows the thoughts of man, and they are but a breath. There's a call, there's a clamor, there's a cry out for us to have understanding. If we are people of God, we should be understood. We should have understanding. It is expected of us to know the things of God. We should not fight against what God says. That's why in Hosea's time, it's difficult. Hosea is like, who is wise and who, who? Like, he was surprised to see that God's people, Israel, didn't understand what was going on in his current context. That's why those without understanding, Hosea has clearly said, go with me to Hosea chapter 4. I know I got you turning your Bibles a lot, and that's good because we're in church. Those without understanding, what happens? Chapter 4, verse 14. I will not punish your daughters when they play the whore, nor your brides when they commit adultery. For the men themselves go aside with prostitutes and sacrifice with cult prostitutes. And people without understanding shall what? Shall come to ruin. Basically, those who do not understand will be judged. Those who do not understand will be ruined. If you don't have understanding, you will face judgment. And the call to discernment or discerning is a very interesting word because we've understood it kind of in the same fashion of, of understanding and knowledge but discerning, it goes a little bit further in. Discerning means you know how to separate. That's what the root word means, to separate. What do, you, what do you know to separate? Right from wrong. And in our day, it's very difficult to separate right from wrong. Because there are some things that are very blatantly wrong. But then there's other things that sound kind of right. And you're like, okay, I get it, I see that. But discernment teaches you to separate. And God's people are called to have understanding and are called to discern. We should be able to do that. And that's what Hosea is asking his people to do. We should be able to understand and discern. So his tone here at the very beginning of these words, who is wise, is a tone of mockery. The way they mocked God Hosea is now mocking their earthly wisdom. The wise alone understand God's word and discern it, and that's why they obey it. What do the Proverbs say? At the very beginning of the Proverbs, we have this crucial understanding that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Those who fear the Lord will have reverence towards his word. Those who do not fear the Lord 
couldn't care less. So Hosea is bringing in and confronting this earthly, godless pride within the wisdom of the people. God's pride, I mean, the the people who are prideful hold God in contempt. They hold God's word in contempt. They lack prudence and they lack judgment. What does the rest of the verse say? The beginning says, whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. That's the first portion of the verse. And then we have this verbless clause. I love verbless clauses because they're an emphatic statement. It says, for the ways of the Lord are right. The ways of the Lord are right. That's the separation of the verse. That's the That's the crucial crux of the verse. We come to this emphatic stop. For the ways of the the Lord are right. But we cannot forget what it says immediately before that. Whoever is discerning will know them. So, If the ways of the Lord are right, then there has to come an obvious conclusion of who knows? Who knows the ways of the Lord? Who can see the ways of the Lord? Well, those who are understanding and those who are discerning. But the ways of the the Lord can only be known to a certain extent beyond a mental capacity. That's why I'm glad if, if, if you are here and you have never been to a home group, please come to our home group on July 11 with Anita at Anita and, and Enrique's house because we're going to be going through a book that's titled The Knowledge of God, To Know God. It's important to understand that word know because it goes beyond a mental capacity. There is some level of mental capacity that we have to have in our mind to understand and to know God or have the knowledge of God. That, that's why we talked about understanding and discernment. But the knowledge of God or knowing implies what? A relationship. Even though I, 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 I don't like that cliche term that Christians use that this is not a religion, this is a relationship. Uh, we use it a lot and I, and I get it. Uh, and and The knowledge, though, that's what it means. To know God is to have intimate relationship with him. If you you look at Genesis and you find all the times that that it says, and they knew each other, or like when Adam knew his wife, it wasn't that he just knew her like, oh, hey, hey. It was like they had, they were intimate with each other. It was a knowledge of intimacy with each other. Now, we don't have that aspect with God. However, it's the intimacy that we have to understand here. The knowledge of God goes beyond our mental capacity to establish a relationship. That's why the prophets, like Jeremiah, said that those who are godless do not know God. And you have to ask yourself, well, there was people in the Old Testament that were not God-fearers, but they knew about God. 
We had the Egyptians had heard about the great things God has done. People knew about God. People know God. People know of him. And, and that's not what the prophets are saying. That's not what Hosea is saying. He's saying, know them. There's an intimacy. There's a relationship as a relational aspect to the knowledge of God. It goes beyond our mental capacity. And that's why Hosea in his time shows his people that they did not know God. Look at what chapter 2 says in Hosea. If you guys remember this, this was from way back, chapter 2, verse 8. It says, and she did not know that it was I who gave her the grain, the wine, the oil, and who lavished on her silver and gold, which they used for Baal. Here God is saying that Israel didn't know that it was God bringing the provision this entire time. They thought it was somebody else. They thought it was their false gods. Israel did not know God. And that was detrimental to their development. There is a strong urging today, friends, to know God. I'm not talking about just physical understanding, mental understanding, but a true knowledge of God that builds us to have a relationship with God. Look at what God does in Ezekiel. If you read the book of Ezekiel, it's a very prophetic book that talks about a lot of weird things towards the end. But in Ezekiel, God destroys and builds Israel time and time again. And the reason why God destroys Israel time and time again, there's a famous phrase or clause that exists in Ezekiel that is used 55 times. And the clause says this, that they may know the Lord. The reason why God destroyed and rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt Israel, his people time and time again, was so that they knew the Lord. He wanted to be known by them. He wanted them to see that it's been God with them and God for them. This was used time and time again. It's an intimacy to know God. Who is wise, says Hosea. Who then is wise? At the end of this book, the interpretation of this passage then falls down on us, falls down, down on the reader. How do you respond to this book? Is it going to be life or is it going to be death for you? The response does not reside in the book itself. It resides in the state of your soul. How you respond to God's word has nothing to do with if it's right or wrong, God, if God's word is right or wrong. It reflects how you are in your soul. You don't reject a book. You reject God's word. You don't accept a book. You accept God's word. So that goes a little bit beyond a mental capacity. That goes to that very essence of the heart. That's why God's word is often compared to cutting straight to the heart. God doesn't mind so much your brain. God wants your heart and everything that it includes. So to know them, we can identify those ways. 
And that's why that verbless clause at the, that's separating the verse is so important because the ways of the Lord then become right. When you know God, when you know his ways, and when you know of him, although they may not make complete sense, although they may be contrary to what you want to believe, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they are God's ways, and because they're God's ways, they are right. We don't say what is right in this world. We have a lot of things to say, and we think that what we think is right. But it doesn't compare to what God says. God says the way things are to be, and those things, the just, the wise, the understanding, the discerning, the ones who know, will say they are right. The way God reigns is right. The way God uh, talks is right. His judgments are right. And what Hosea says in chapter 14, his ways are right. What he does, what he establishes, his actions are right. They're just. The, this, this, this word, yashar, is an attribute of God, which means it's not that just he's Right sometimes, it's that his very nature, everything that he is, his attribute is completely right. So when God does something that we don't necessarily like, it doesn't mean that he's wrong. Which is what a lot of people in the world like to do. Oh, that was messed up, man. God, man, God, that wasn't right. You shouldn't have let that happen. Where was God when this happened? Where was God in my life when this happened? Where was God? And we put all the blame on God, but we always forget that our God and everything that he does and everything that he sovereignly does, he is right. Who are we to invent or who are we to try to coerce what right is? Were we the creators? Are we the creators? He is the creator, not us. They are God's ways, and because they're God's ways, they are right. In the time of Hosea, the people thought that God's ways were absurd. Can you imagine, like I said at the beginning, living in a, years and years of their life, his life before the people, and the people were like, wait, so you're telling me God told you to marry her? What kind of advice is that? What kind of advice is marry a prostitute? Dude, what'd you expect? Yeah, she left you. Of course she was going to leave you. What would you expect? She was a prostitute. She was a harlot at heart. So people thought, like, man, Jose, I don't, you know, this, whatever God told you to do, I don't think that was pretty wise of him to say that. People confronted Jose about that. People put doubt in Hosea. Put, people try to put doubt in God's word. But at the end, Hosea brings this very to a very clear conclusion. He says, only those who are wise, have understanding, and discern, and know will adapt to everything that God does is right. I love, with this short time that we have left, I love, um, I love Puritan writings. And I usually use them for devotional times. But Thomas Watson writes in his Body of Divinity. Thomas Watson was a 17th century Puritan who did a lot of amazing writing. And he wrote the Body of Divinity where he explains a lot of uh, 
what the Westminster Catechism says for for those who are from a Presbyterian background. But he describes the Word of God, and he describes it perfect, as being perfect, and, and it's perfect because it comes from God. And he writes seven proofs of its perfection. But one of them is number six that that really brought my attention. And the sixth one is that the word of God is powerful. So he doesn't only defend it by all uh, physical standards, but then he brings this to a close. God's word is powerful. And then he says, it changes the heart of man. That's what the word of God does. That's what the ways of God do. They change man's heart. Makes us after God. Doesn't keep us in our own ways. So my friends, who is wise? I don't use it with a sarcastic tone here. But I will put the question out there as Hosea did. Who among you is wise. Only the Lord's ways are right. And although we ran out of time, I can't finish without bringing in the final comparison. We saw in the beginning of the verse, everything up into the clause that the ways of the Lord are right. Who walks in the ways of the Lord? What does the verse say? The upright, or the righteous, or the just. They are the ones that walk in them. Walking means acting in them, doing as it says, what we mentioned at the beginning. But what does the last line say? But the transgressors, transgressors means those who rebel or are disloyal, stumble in them, or fall in them. Here's the, here's the irony, if we can say, when we examine the word stumble or fall, you can say, I fell, but when the Hebrew uses this conjugation called a, a nifal, the stem called a nifal, what it implies is a passive action. So I don't stumble, but I am caused to stumble. So per, per, per se, if I'm walking and someone sticks their foot out, it will make me stumble. It will make me fall. What, what this passage is saying is that God's word or God's ways will make the transgressor stumble. What is that saying? What is that implying? It's implying these two groups of people at the very end. Those who are right and upright with God, and those who have been separated, those who are transgressors and disloyal to the ways of God, that they will walk the same path as the righteous, and the righteous will walk freely because it is guided and made for them. The righteous will walk and not stumble, but the transgressors, the rebellious, the disloyal, those God-haters will stumble 
by them. They'll look at God's word and be like, ah, no, this is, I can't take this. I can't live like this. I can't be like that. No way, that, that's false, that's phony, that's hypocritical. No, I can't follow a God like that. And what do God's words do then? Causes them to stumble. So, so here in, in our church, we, we want to invite all of you guys, and we want everybody to come in. We want everyone to, 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 to come to know God and to listen to God's word. We are invited, open doors to everybody to come in, but then it comes to that hardcore fact where the word of God does the job. It separates the righteous from the transgressors. I don't do that. I don't say, you're bad, you're, you're good. You're bad, you're good. You're, you're good, you're bad. <laughs> you're bad, you're good. No, I, I, I don't say that. I can't do that. I don't, I'm not God. It's the word of God that is put before you and established before you and shown to you that divides. Jesus said it in, in, in Matthew. Go ahead, you, you're going to leave too? I mean, in John, you're going to leave too? Yeah. You don't like what I said? Go. They left. You want to go? God's word separates the upright from the transgressor. I guess the only thing left to say is, what group are you in? So, we thank God for allowing us to come to this last verse. And ending on a high note, studying God's ways. So let's stand up today. There's so much more, but Time is of the essence. Now we have to have a bunch of Spanish people come in and fill this place. But I'm proud. Give you guys a round of applause for hanging in there. I'm proud of you guys. We have, uh, we're going to have the information at the, at, at, at the back. Uh, speak to Anita about, about being in a home group. Uh, I'd love to meet you if this is your first time here. And your kids will be picked up at the back too, so don't worry about that. Let's pray. Father, we, we want to be people of your word. Father, we, if, if today was for us, if this is for me, Father, I don't want to be separated as a transgressor of your word. I want to walk in them. Father, forgive me for doubting your word. Forgive me for, for, for being on the other side. Forgive me for sometimes thinking that your ways are not right. Forgive me for falling. But Lord, as you've often done, you've picked up those who are fallen. We may fall, but we have a gracious God who has a strong right arm to collect and pick up those who have fallen. I pray that you pick up the fallen. I pray that you mend broken pieces. Because after all, that's the best way we could come to you, broken. I pray for this church that we become those who walk in God's word and not just listen to it every Sunday, but that we live by it and walk by it and be, and be our hearts changed by it. In Jesus' name, we all say amen, amen, everyone.